we do indeed want to see the Lord and hope that our eyes are opened so that we can see him in our lives working in significant ways. Um, one of the ways that I want to see that happen is in my, my children and my grandchildren. And I've been blessed in many ways with all of that. It's been wonderful. We want them to have spiritual lives, Robin and I do. I don't know if, uh, if our son Ryan has been listening along with his little Nora, our granddaughter, to the sermons that I've been preaching on Sunday mornings. We're focusing here on connecting. She's three years old. It's time for her to start connecting and listening to those sermons with thoroughness, diligence, and attention. I'm praying that she would soon memorize the things that I'm saying and they would be on her heart. She does pray before bedtime, and she's been doing this now, of course, regularly for a while, and recently her prayers have gone to a new depth. She doesn't want to just pray for family any longer, you know, not just pray for mommy and daddy and Pappas and Grammy and all of us, but instead she's been thinking about expressing deeper things. And so last night, I, we just got this text this morning, she prayed for sword fighting. She prayed for spaghetti on the floor. She prayed for garbage cans. And I'm, I'm just hoping that through the series that we're involved in here, that somehow your prayers will go beyond even where hers are, and that you will move deeper in your prayer life to be what the Lord wants you to be. You can imagine the pride I feel in knowing that she's praying for spaghetti on the floor. There's at least one wrong impression uh, that I don't want people to get from our new series, Connecting with God. And I'm afraid it'll be a little bit difficult, actually, for us to overcome what could be a wrong impression. And I will say it something like this. That connecting with God can happen easily and quickly through our efforting with a few well-defined practices, a series of steps. And you probably know what I'm talking about. If you've been around Christian circles very long, you know what I'm talking about, spiritual disciplines. And it would be easy for us, and we are going to turn to the spiritual disciplines at the end of this series, about the last four or five are talking about some of the spiritual disciplines. It'd be easy for us to think that if we're going to participate in the spiritual disciplines, that it automatically leads to a deep relationship with God, a deep connecting with the Lord. And my fear is that if we think that's the case, that we'll miss something that is really crucial to what it means to really connect with Christ. And so we could do this. We could think of this in terms of a recipe and think, well, if I practice a little bit of prayer and I throw in a dash of fasting and I have a cup of serving and maybe a whole pound of giving, that's what Daryl's hoping for after our AGM this morning. If we throw in some worshiping and some Bible study and righteousness and fellowship, we put all these ingredients together, we're going to come out with a profound spiritual life. And we can go through some steps, I'm afraid, and think of these as steps that we can take, actions that we can take, and all of a sudden, voila, we end up with spiritual depth and a close relationship with God. And unfortunately, that's not the case. Now, do these things contribute to a significant relationship with God? Oh, man, can they? And that's why we're going to do something with the spiritual disciplines at the end of the study is because there's so much value to the spiritual disciplines. But I don't want us to think that it's simply a matter of going through some practices. We can just do this and the end result is going to be some spiritual depth. You know, uh, recently, Miles Rippenhagen went through a dieting practice 
Well, in fact, he's in it right now. I, I was talking to him this morning, and, and he's not eating a lot. Okay? Um, do you mind if I tell him what you're doing right now? He's... Are you sure? <laughs> I, I didn't think he'd mind at all, and he doesn't. Miles is right now fasting, and he's been fasting for four days. And he's not sitting in sackcloth and ashes. He's not calling attention to himself. Um, he's just in the process of fasting. The reason I know that is because I specifically asked him about his diet this morning. He couldn't really get out of, of uh, answering the question. And, and people go through diet practices all the time. In fact, we could talk about this because you guys are quite familiar with this. You can eat fewer carbohydrates and fats, and that will put you on the road to losing some weight. You can specifically limit your intake of sugar. You can count calories and limit the number that you take in. I've done that from time to time. I've done some calorie counting. Um, not right now, but, I'm, but I have done some. You can make sure that through exercise, you burn a certain number of calories each day. Right, that's what Kelly needs to be doing more of right now is uh, some more calorie burning. You can limit the number of hours in a day when you will eat, which, by the way, is Miles' real plan for losing weight. Miles has lost 47 pounds in the last, what, year or so? He's lost 47 pounds, and the main way that he's done that is simply by saying, I'm going to eat within a window each day. I'll, I'll give myself about four hours to eat each day. And by the way, he does not eat for four hours straight each day. But he does have a window in which he eats for about four hours, and then he doesn't eat past that. So maybe he has a little bit at the beginning, maybe a little bit at the end, something in the middle. I don't know how he does that, but four hours or so, and that's how he loses some weight, 47 pounds. You could, of course, simply stop eating, which he's doing some of right now. I don't know how that's working for him. I'm guessing he's a little bit hungry. Uh, but you, if you wanted to lose some weight, this is a surefire method, actually. Just stop eating, and I guarantee that you're going to lose some weight. So we... We know that this is a process, or these are processes that we could go through in terms of losing weight. But there's a problem with that. And if you're, if you're a physical trainer uh, at all, or a nutritionist, or uh, a dietitian, or something, uh, you would be like my son, because my son uh, is a personal trainer in Little Rock, Arkansas. And if you talk to him about losing weight, he would say that these things are not the key. In fact, he would say that Key concepts when it comes to dieting are not concepts like fewer calories or intake, calories, limit, exercise, or eating. He would say that these are actually not the key to dieting. He would say that the key to dieting is actually something like this. That the key concepts when it comes to losing weight are actually attitude and lifestyle. That's how a person loses weight. Because you know as well as I do that the person who simply goes through some practices, counts calories for a while, sooner or later they stop counting them. Sooner or later, Miles starts eating five hours a day. And six and seven. Unless, of course, for Miles or for any of us, this becomes who we are. This becomes a lifestyle. And so weight loss and being fit reflects more the healthy person that you are in the course of life rather than a series of practices you undertake to lose weight. And of course, I'm making the same point about spiritual life. That we can throw in some practices, we can participate in those, and I'm hoping, again, that as we get into the spiritual disciplines that you'll do that. 
I hope that people are praying more in 2019 than they did in 2018. But me just advocating from the pulpit some practices for you to undertake, I'm not sure is the key to you becoming the spiritual giant connected to God that God wants you to be when he connects with you. So I want you to turn to John 15, because I'm going to show you what I think is far more important. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And you know what I would love? I would love for someone to just stand up in a clear voice, read verses 1 through 4, and then I'd love if somebody else would stand up and read verses 5 through 8. Just loud, loud so everybody can hear you. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Somebody please. I don't care who. Go ahead, Carly, read it out loud, please. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Thank you very much. Somebody else, verses 5 through 8. I am the vine, you are the branch. If you remain in me, I am you. Bear much fruit. Apart from me, you do not. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Thank you very much. Now, you know, most of us, I think, know enough about the English language to know that there's such a thing as nouns and verbs. There are other things besides that, but there are at least nouns and verbs. In this passage, there's at least one really key noun. Now, there are some others, but one key noun in, this ver- uh, in these verses is the w- word vine. And it occurs about as often as any word within this section. But there's another word that occurs maybe even more, but just as much as the word vine, but it's not a noun, it's a verb. What's the verb that keeps cropping up here, especially in verses 4 through 8? Abide. The word abide. Your translation might say something different. It might say remain. But it's the same word. And this is a very interesting word, at least for our purposes this morning. This word in Greek is this. It's meno. And this is a verb. And in one sense, it means to remain. Okay? Like I could, Corey's sitting here. I could walk over and I'd say, uh, I'm just going to stand here for a while, so I'm, re- I'm remaining next to Corey. Okay? I could say that. I'm remaining. But if I ask you whether or not I'm abiding with Corey, you probably would say no. Remaining next to him, not really abiding. And that's because this word, uh, well, I mean, that's not, it's not because of that word, but the fact is, is that word means something different than me just standing next to, remaining next to Corey. The word meno implies, especially I think in this context, something deeper, something longer, something more meaningful than just standing next to. And so I would say that it has to do more with abiding, living with, dwelling with, than just remaining. And again, this is something that maybe takes some time. This takes some Attention to the relationship. 
It means that two people who are abiding with each other are not just going to be next to each other, but that there's going to be a link that that develops between the two. There's going to be a connection here. Now, what's interesting about this word also in this particular context is that in every case that this word occurs in this particular context, it's in a tense which is called present. Now, we're not going to get into a whole Greek lesson this morning here, but, but this means something stretched out, something that is happening again and again. We're talking about something that's repeating itself, not repeating itself like this as much as repeating itself like this. There is an abiding sense of length here, depth here, connection you know, I could, again, I could walk over to Corey, and I could do this with Corey. I could say, I'm going to put my hand on Corey's head. Okay? Which I did. I put my hand on Corey's head. Or I could say, I'm going to put my hand on Corey's head and make him very uncomfortable very quickly. <laughs> okay? And the notion of abiding is a lot more like that than it is just the one-time kind of touch in this particular context. And so the notion here is that abiding is not a singular practice. But the notion of abiding is a pattern. It implies, in this case, certainly, relationship. And so what I would say is this, that in John 15, when Jesus is talking about the vine and us abiding in that vine, he does not want us to do practices so that we can connect with him. That's not his chief concern. He doesn't want us to just do some things. What Jesus wants is for us to abide with him in a life of spiritual connectedness. And that's so much richer and deeper, I think, and more meaningful. I want you now to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. It's on page 832, by the way, if you're looking at the Bibles underneath the seats. 832. We're pretty familiar with this passage pretty familiar with the words. They're quoted quite often. They're meaningful. They're deep for sure. But what I want us to do is get this sense right now of the notion of abiding. And the word abide, I don't think is in this context, but I think you're going to see other words that maybe do the same kind of thing that connects with God in a certain way that is just different than a bunch of practices. Verse 7 says, But whatever, they're, they're, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I just want you to think about that word for a moment. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. How often do you do that? How temporary is that? Or how much length is there in knowing Christ Jesus our Lord? for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So we're found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And those words don't mean 
something temporary. And we're not talking here about distance between ourselves and God. But instead, exactly the opposite of intense closeness to Jesus, even to the point where I share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Two or three times in here he talks about, he uses the word consider this. And he keeps saying, No, I want to know Christ. And to consider these things and to know Christ and to have this kind of relationship is not something that you have by participating in a few recipe-like acts. Now turn to Colossians chapter 3. And you can look at the context there, but this is what it says. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the above, things above, it should say, not on earthly things. And I love the language here about setting. You know, in the South, we have some people here who are from the South. When I say South, I mean that part of the United States that's Southern. It's, a, it's a, a well-known expression for people, maybe especially in the old days, for people to say to one another, come and have a set. Come and have a set. Or people might say, come and sit a while. And when someone says, come and sit a while, they don't mean, would you please take a seat? They don't mean, would you please sit down? They mean, would you please come? And whether you sit down or not, you can lie on the couch if you want. The point is for us to share time and thought and our lives. And when Paul says, set your heart on things above or set your minds, he doesn't mean, would you do this for the next three minutes? And when someone says, come and have a set, they don't mean for the next three minutes. When they say that, they mean, would you please come and spend time? And when God says, set your mind on me, set your heart where I am, it's because he wants us. He wants our lives. He wants our attention. He wants our devotion. He wants our love. And so God is saying, let's abide together for a while, sharing conversation and sharing life. That's what he wants from you. And so when we get to spiritual disciplines or hopefully you're participating in them already. It could be for you that that's a little bit of a challenge. And you may go through the motions a little bit. 
But, oh, I hope you do something more than just go through the motions. I hope that for you, your connecting with God is profound and deep. Living out a lifestyle of spiritual connection with God. Abiding, abiding with Jesus. Knowing Christ. Setting our hearts and minds on things above. Oh, that's what he wants for his children. That's what he wants for you and me. Lord, we thank you that you call us into relationship with you. That you invite us in. That you ask us to abide in you. You allow us to know you. To be in intense personal relationship with you, the creator of the universe. You've created us with minds and hearts that are, are made just for you so that we can take our minds and hearts and set them on you. And in the process of setting our hearts and minds on you, find ourselves fulfilled. Oh, what a blessing you've given to us. Help us, Father, never to just go through some steps as we approach you. But help us to abide. We pray through Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, actually before I say that, I loved this situation because I was a preacher's kid and for like 20 years I had to endure preacher's stories about me and now the tables are turned and my folks are here. When I was a kid, uh, we had guests often at home. Dad was a preacher. Mom hosted folks. And she kept, my mom kept a good house. She kept a clean house. But when the folks came over, two things happened. The house got an extra scouring. Uh, then we had, we had dinner together. Stories were shared. And then the second thing happened. The cards usually came out or the dominoes. Now, cleaning house and playing cards together doesn't make a relationship, but it makes space for the relationship. And that's what, as we enter into a series looking at the spiritual disciplines and these practices that we can do, the practices themselves don't make the relationship. They can't force a relationship with God, but they're ways of making space in ourselves to sit down and be present with our Lord.